Welcome to the Who's He podcast. In an occasional series, we're going to be talking about those people who've been lucky enough to travel with the Doctor over the last 50 or so years. Yes, the companions. Those people who have stepped through the doors of the TARDIS, have been shown the wonders and the dangers of the universe, and travelling through time and space. And of course, we'll be discussing the actors who have brought these iconic roles to life. And my guest this week is Hayden Gribble from the Diddly Dumb Podcast. Welcome to the show, Hayden. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Now, we're here to, to talk about companions, aren't we? Yeah. Or, or one in particular. Yes. One in indeed, particular. Yeah. So, who have you um, decided to talk about this evening? Well, tonight, uh, Phil, my favourite companion uh, that we're going to be talking about is Jamie McCrimmon. James... Or to give him, or to, oh, sorry, to, to give him his full name, James Robert McCrimmon. Of course, son of Donald McCrimmon, of course. Indeed. Indeed. Now, um, why why Jamie McCrimmon? Because obviously this is probably one of the periods of Doctor Who there, there's sort of the most missing episodes <laughs> well, I know, with, yeah. with Jamie. Yeah. So, yeah, why have you elected um, for Jamie? Well, there's nothing ever really simple uh, with regards to my sort of fandom when it comes to Doctor Who. I always sort of look at almost the things which are unobtainable. So like you said, mm. with the missing episodes, I, it, it would be typical for me to pick a favourite companion from an era which half of it's been decimated. Mm. Um, of course, my favourite Doctor comes from that time as well. Um, it's really, I think it all boils down to one scene, really. Um, I was very young. I think I was about seven or eight, mm. and I had a local library. Yeah. And, it, and in that library, every once in a while, there would be a glut of Doctor Who VHSs. So... I picked one out, and it was the Troughton years. And one of the only reasons why I picked it up was because Patrick Troughton had a passing... Well, he, he, basically, he looked like my gramps. Oh, okay. So, okay. <laughs> so, sort of my, so my gramps had a beard. So if you kind of imagine uh, sort of Patrick Troughton from his Doctor Who years, but with the beard from A Box of Delights, then you kind of get the merging of the two, and then that sort of I was, gonna, I was, I was also going to say um, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger as well. Oh, oh, actually, yes, perhaps that one, because it's not as white. Yeah, okay, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that one. Um, <laughs> so I picked it up thinking, oh, this should be quite interesting. And I've always had this interest in black and white as well, and I think it's because it is it looks totally different mm. to how, uh, obviously, every day, but also when, when you're a kid, you watch TV shows which are incredibly saturated with colour. Mm. So even something, I mean, something which I loved back then and something which I love to this day is the simpsons but of course that is you know it's just it's color central it's um uh technicolor gone mad yeah, so yeah. so looking at black and white things so uh in the in the 90s i always used to show things like the monsters and the adams family would be on really early and sort of like laurel and hardy films as well oh, and yeah. seeing things seeing things in black and white would really hook me in and I saw that, obviously, there with this being Patrick Troughton, and with me having a bit of a knowledge of Doctor Who mm. up to this point, um, I knew this was going to be black and white. So we put it in. Um, I was quite shocked at just how ropey 
uh, that prince of uh, the uh, the abominable snowman uh, was, and just uh, you know off locking and just looking really grainy and everything. But that the first scene of that surviving episode, episode two, mm. is of Jamie and Victoria being menaced by a yeti in a cave. And what's the first thing that Jamie does? He basically pushes Victoria against the wall, gets her out of harm's way, picks up a picks, picks up a, a pole, doesn't he? Knocks over the stanchion that's holding the, the roof up, and mm. completely crushes the Yeti. So you've got this from what is actually to this day my favourite version of the theme tune. You go from that, yeah, straight into the action of this roaring Yeti. And if you can get, if you can sort of, um. If you could uh, suspend your disbelief for a few seconds when you hear the crunching of the styrofoam. <laughs> As was always the case, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> sort of cr- crashing down on this yeti, or should I say floating down with it being styrofoam. Um, <laughs> you think, bloody hell, that's a really heroic start. I mean, as an introduction to someone to an era, because I've never seen any Trout episodes before, mm. but as an introduction to that and to someone who... As a kid, I mean, once again, it's out of my era. It's just a child out of time, me. But I loved all the Super Marionation shows that were shown. Uh, it was the, I think it was on 6 o'clock on BBC Two, stuff like Captain Scarlet, Thunderbirds, oh, yes, Stingray, yes. Joe 90. So one of the staples of Super Marionation and Jerry Anderson's uh, productions was that there was always an explosion to be had. So anything with action would really hook me in. So, yeah. so you... You've got the theme tune, you've got the action, and I just absolutely loved it. And I think, really, I think from then on in, I saw Jamie as being this, almost sort of like this hero, because the Doctor, and especially Patrick Troughton's Doctor, is a not very physical Doctor. No, he he's might, not, no. He might be when it comes to, you know, several props or something, but he's got Jamie there to um, to be the brawn while he's the brains. Um, and it's just a brilliant partnership, and... As time went on, I started, you know, I think the Ice Warriors uh, VHS box set came out about a year later. Mm. And obviously I was straight on that and uh, bought that with pocket money. And, uh, yeah, and just absolutely basically fell in love with, um, well, platonically, of course, with Jamie McGrimmon. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting you say about that he was sort of like the brawn, because obviously when um, when he was sort of brought into the show... You had Ben yeah. and Polly, and Ben was really the, sort of like the brawn at the time, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and obviously, he was only meant to be in the Highlanders. Uh, just that one story, uh, unfortunately, lost to the to the mists of time. Um, so, really, it, it's it's amazing how he was sort of asked to come back and how he, how he sort of assumed that role. Really, yeah. considering that yeah. there was all that function has already been served by by another character. But obviously, the I think the one of the things that I think it's made him very popular with a lot of fans. Was his interaction with the with the second Doctor, and particularly Fraser Hines and Patrick Troughton's relationship as well? Um, mm. What what sort of sort of highlights that Doctor Jamie relationship for you throughout his so his time on the show? I'm not sure if I could boil it down to just one scene. I think it's the fact that it happens organically over time. I think mm. from from what we've got to go on with regards to the audio, which you can't really tell much from. Let's be honest. No. But from those fragments, those fragmented parts, you know, stories from things like the moon base, which, I mean, is, you know, Jamie's flat out on a slab. Mm. That's right, exactly. <laughs> for, about, yeah. for, for two and a half episodes. <laughs> um, 
But it isn't really until the faceless ones when they start, you know, interacting together. Of course, by then, Ben's being written out to the point that even in his last story, he's only there for three, uh, for three episodes. Mm. I think it's incredibly interesting how now Doctor Who doesn't really have. It isn't. It doesn't want to run the risk that they that obviously um, the series producers took, which was to just take characters out of stories that might have just worked in that one story mm. and then plant a minute as a compa- I mean obviously Katarina was one that didn't work yeah but what makes what, what's interesting for me is that what made Katarina a failure made Jamie a success they're both characters from uh, the past which means that technologically they don't understand a thing that's going on. I mean, you look at, once again, the faceless ones, the flying beastie, when he sees the face. <laughs> that's right, yes. Yeah. It's a 737 for the first time. Um, it's uh, it's quite interesting just how he elbows Ben out. But really, I mean, the character of Jamie doesn't really have, I don't know, he, he doesn't have much of a, to me, it doesn't feel like he has much of an influence on the departure of Ben. I think behind the scenes, perhaps, yes that he no longer serves, that Ben no longer serves that function. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. More but I think the problem is, I think Michael Craze was given a stereotype to play with, as was Fraser Hines. But Fraser Hines makes it pl- playful in a way that I think Michael Craze, I think Ben was quite a serious character. And when yes. you look, Yeah, I'll agree with that. He was, like, yeah. And when you look at Jamie, it takes time, but his sort of the evolution of his relationship with Troughton, it just comes into play as Ben and Polly are obviously being phased out. Mm. And, that, and at that point, it's a tipping point for me because I think from then on in, I think the Doctor has a best mate, something which he hasn't had before. Because if you look at the male companions before him, you know, Ian Chesterton at times was a bit, was a bit of a frenemy, I think, to the first Doctor. Yes, he was, yeah. Someone to challenge him. And Stephen, I think, Stephen Taylor, went up against the first Doctor, or the Doctor, let's say, um, far more than any other companion, I think. I think every single story, he seems to have a moment when he's getting up in his face. If you think about that surviving clip of um, Katarina's death, part of the Daleks. Yes, yeah. He says, take him back to Kemble, let, let the Daleks deal with him. And if you, Peter Purvis goes right up in William Hart's face, says, yes, and us, like that. And it's very, mm. sort of, that for me sort of sums up their relationship. Um, and Ben, I think, I think, as, I think as a character struggled. So I think I'd like to, I, I, I don't know, I mean, I haven't really read into it, but I'd like to think that they saw Jamie as the person who could perhaps join the crew and not so much take a the limelight away from Ben because he doesn't actually do that much with Ben in the stories that is that he appears with him. Well, no, uh, I suppose you say that like the moon base, he spends most of his time on a slab. So, yes, it, <laughs> yeah. So it's um, I just think it, it was possibly his time, and also this was around the time when Doctor Who companions only lasted a year as well. Yeah, and Jamie. Yeah. Jamie was the first companion out of all of them to stay for not only you know, three seasons or almost three seasons. This stays almost for the entire run of the Doctor. Exactly. But does, he that, hold, does he hold the record with Tegan or so, or is he slightly longer than Tegan's time with the Doctor? He appears, he appeared in more episodes. Mm. Um, beaten, even beaten Sarah Jane Smith as well. Yeah. Uh, I think if you, but then again, if, if 
if you put the Sarah Jane Avengers together, perhaps he would get beaten then. But um, I think it's something like a hundred and twenty. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have some of your listeners here, mate. Shout <laughs> but it's, it's something like I think it's over one hundred and twenty episodes. Wow. So it's, it's that longevity. So actually, in a, I mean, in a way, he appeared in more episodes than some doctors did. Uh, yes, indeed, he did actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah blimey. So it's, it's a. I mean, another thing about his, um, if you look at the stories that um, that Jamie was in, introduction of a lot of what's now called, sort of called the classic villains, like Ice Warriors and Yeti, Cybermen were used more during that that time as well. It's um, it's sort of. It's a very important time in Doctor Who's history, really. That what it sort of gave the the show, um, sort of in in going forward as well, really. And it's sort of all during Fraser Hines' time on the show. It's it's quite incredible, really. That I think that that's one of the reasons why the sixties is one of my favourite eras of Doctor Who. Is because it's the, it's the start. It's the genesis. Mm. But not only that, it's also where it's so re- it's so far removed from any other era in Doctor Who history. It sets a lot up, but ev- everything changes with the war games. Yes, yes. Doctor just a traveller who just bumbles in. I mean, he really does, even Hartnell does. He just, just doesn't really know where he's going, comes in and out. But then after, from the war games onwards, it's, it feels as like the Doctor has a purpose um, for his travels. I mean, well, that, no, not, not throughout the first era, of course, no, but... <sighs> It's, it, it rooted the character a bit more, didn't it? Really, because yeah. you didn't know anything about the Doctor up until that time. They're all of a sudden the, the Time Lords are there, oh. and, and they all introduce as quite a um, how can I put sort of quite all all knowing, all powerful, and there are some someone to be scared of. The Doctor was scared of them. He, he didn't really want to yeah, yeah. call on their help, did he? Um, no, no, no. But but Doctor Who was a blank canvas back in the nineteen sixties. Yes. There was so- imagination in that, that that's what was, that's what i was trying to say was that it's a time where the where the show can do anything you can take a highlander from 18th century scotland put him in a science fiction show yeah. and he won't question it and he won't question what he's seeing it would be very easy for jamie to say oh i don't believe a thing of this oh this is all a magic trick this is all you know but no he goes along with it you know, he he believes these situations that he's in. It's not some kind of. He's a very accepting character. Mm. He's a very active character as well. Um, not just over, uh, you know, the um, uh, Victoria and obviously Zoe later on, but obviously more predominantly Victoria. Mm. But he's so very very loyal to the Doctor. And I mean, there, there's a brilliant moment. It's a shame we can never see it in the Evil of the Daleks, where he really goes up against. Uh, the doctor and actually says, "Look, you're using me for something here. I don't like what you're doing. Mm. When this is done, Doctor, I'm finished with you." That is quite an interesting moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's character development in a time where not very many Doctor Who companions got character development. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> before, the story before we saw quite an interesting premise of two companions leaving on the same day that they arrived, but you can't say. Polly and Ben had any character development, but I think Jamie actually had quite a lot. You know, you see him have this sort of unrequainted love with Victoria. Yeah. Which is summed up brilliantly in the last half of Fury from the Deep, where he's talking to her. I think they're in, they're in the pub, aren't they, with the um, with the Harrises? That's right. Who she leaves with at the end, doesn't she? Yeah, and half of 
uh, that final part is all about Victoria's goodbye and how Jamie deals with it. Um, there's a lot to be said, I, I think, really for the writing as well in the 60s, that they actually saw that, no, th- these were characters who people cared about. And, you know, give them a proper send-off, but also what's the consequences of their departures? I mean, Jamie was incredibly... Um, he, he stood off with regards to Zoe. He did not want her to join the TARDIS. No, you know, no, you're right. He didn't actually didn't have thinking about it. No, he was quite sort of very reluctant, wasn't he? Yeah, and I know she was quite bossy and you know very you know, look, looked on upon him as being a bit thick. Mm. But I, I don't think that's one of the reasons. I, I think one of the reasons is because she's replacing Victoria, and I think he had such strong feelings for Victoria. I mean, it's, it's amazing how I don't think the missing adventures ever really ex- explained it or explored it, did they? This sort Not- of like. Not really, no. I, was, I was think when when a companion sort of left before that, it was almost sort of out of the blue. They were sort of written out in the last episode, and and uh, I mean, particularly if you, you look at in the case of Dodo, yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah. that is just terrible what they what they did to Jackie later. Um, but um, but at least with sort of like Jamie, he, he as you said, he he had a bit more character development. He he would sort of like once this this is done, Doctor, I'm I'm going, and then the whole thing with Victoria as well, and. Yeah, it, it's quite a in, very interesting time. And as you say, it, it very much was a, a, a blank canvas. And they did take some, up until that point, they, they, you know, they hadn't taken that many chances, had they? With, no. with the writing. No. And this is, they were starting to experiment a lot more, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they were. They were. And I know, I know you said earlier, uh, Phil, with, with regards to, you know, these new monsters coming through and, you know, yeah. the Yeti, Cybermen, the Ice Warriors. Um, and of course, the Cybermen. I mean, actually, to be honest, pretty much replaced the Daleks through the Troughton era. They, they are did, the main yeah. villain. Yeah. They are the main villain. I mean, they're in four stories. Um, all are very significant moments in in Troughton's run. Um, yeah. I think Jamie, especially when he came up against them, is that you never felt like he was afraid of them. You always, he always, it was always very brave, you know, stepping up against the Cybermen. I, I always remember um, watching Tomb of the Cybermen for the first time. Mm. I remember he's he's trying to escape up the ladder, and he gets shot by a Cyberman. Yeah. And I thought, God, that's the second time he's been shot. You know, like when he's lying on the slab in the moon base, he gets knocked unconscious by one. You know, with the little death ray that doesn't quite <laughs> the special effect doesn't quite line up. No, exactly. When he falls down, <laughs> back unconscious again. But um, it's you know, I I think I think it was good. I think in a show. Where the doc, where you you look up to the doctor, but you can never really be the doctor. Mm. I think this is something which Stephen Moffat's been alluding to in the last series with regards to Clara, is that it's actually quite dangerous to be the doctor. You know, the the, the doctor is very much his own entity, mm. but you can look up to the companions, and I think having such a strong role model, like a, a male role model, in the show at that point was incredibly important. I mean, yeah, I think you got it as well. I don't think you got it as much with Victoria for the girls, but I think Zoe's a brilliant role model for the girls, but I think to have Jamie there, um, I think is actually quite reassuring. Mm, yeah. Really. Um, I mean, I actually remember, I, I mean, I, I met Fraser Hines a few times, um, and I, I was lucky enough to interview him once as well. And I said to him, it's quite, because I, I think he was quite surprised that uh, when I said, you know, he was my favorite and he said well you know how, how old are you though i mean you, you don't you, you didn't see it first time around i said no but i said but 
But that that's just a testimony to the character, you know. Mm. I was watching Doctor Who on faded out old VHS tapes um, and looking through the Radio Times, seeing it on UK Gold and thinking, oh, I wish we had satellite, then I could watch these episodes. Doctor Who was very unobtainable for me. Uh, I'd only watch it when, you know, pocket money came in uh, or Christmas, Easter, birthday, you know, when I got these videos, really. Um, but I always wanted to get predominantly two doctors. It was always Patrick Troughton and Tom Baker. And actually, looking back now, it's for those male role, mo- role models in those stories. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I always think I actually bemoan the fact now that Doctor Who doesn't use this more. And that is the, the TARDIS team of two companions, one male and one female. I think it's such a good balance for the show. I if think so. Well, there's there's always that criticism levelled uh, that, that, that the TARDIS becomes a bit too crowded. They always say it works better when there is just the Doctor and one companion. And it always has to be a female companion. But I'm I'm quite certain if there if there was no Victoria or no Zoe, that the Doctor and Jamie would have worked as equally as well, if not better. Mm, mm. And a brilliant example of that is episode one of The Wheel in Space. And I know, obviously, once again, it's something we can't watch. Hopefully, one day, Philip Hopefully will one day. help us yes. out with that. Yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But, uh, <laughs> but if you listen to the soundtrack, it's the it's the dialogue and it's the character that comes through between Trout and Hines that really makes it so engaging. I know the Wheel in Space is you know, derided as being a very weak story. Mm. Um, but I could listen to those two talk all day. I really could. And, you know, just, just going up to the... Um, they spend about five minutes, don't they, going up to the uh, the food machine, saying, "Oh, what do you want? Oh, I love I love some roast beef, please. Oh, do you want some?" It's like, "Oh yes," and uh, <laughs> had a biscuit as well, JD, and all this kind of stuff. And you think it, it's quite, and you think, "Oh, I, I could I could easily I could just kick back and I just I could just watch these two all day." It's like a little window into their domestic bliss, really, wasn't it? That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the odd couple as well, really, because like I said, they are polar opposites, but they balance one another out so well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I, that interaction. Well, it is. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, there's that little scene um, in Tomb of the Cybermen where they're about to walk into the um, into the into, yeah. the into the base, and there's sort of the Doctor and Jeremy holding hands. Yeah, you know, and and that, but that obviously that was something that Fraser Hines and, and Patrick Trout and come up with with themselves. And I think that's just a testament to how well they got on, how well they understood each other as actors. As yes, that. and also for. Um, uh, so for um, I can't remember the, the Deb, Deborah Watlin to go along mm. with it as well, yeah, you know, yeah. sort of like just realizing, you know, I'm no, not not quite sort of interrupting with these two here, you know, but um, but she sort of like you sort of like went along with it, and it just I think the three of them worked perfectly, but I think everyone seems to say that it's the Doctor Jamie and Zoe was the the classic lineup for, for the second Doctor. Would, would you sort of agree with that, or would you or are you more or uh, towards more the uh, Jamie and Victoria because of what you said before because he was very protective of her. I'll tell you this. Uh, recently, I went up in my loft and I found a load of old, you know, workbooks and stuff from school. Mm. Okay, on my, I think it was my geography book. I had a lot of cutouts from characters from the Beano, from the Simpsons, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and there's a there's a picture of a, two black and white people. There's, um, there's a Scotsman, and there's a girl from the Victorian age in there. Yeah. As, as a kid, I, I really I, that was my favourite TARDIS lineup was the Second Doctor, Jamie and Victoria. Yeah. Um, closely followed by the Fourth Doctor, Sarah and Harry. Um, I think it still is actually, to be honest. But um, 
I think the protectiveness that Jamie showed towards Victoria, I always found quite noble. And I rather liked that. And I know she was a bit of a screamer and she was a bit, actually, no, that, that, that's the wrong sentence to say, isn't it? I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't really say that. Um, I know she was quite um, melodramatic, let's say. Um, but once again, I mean, yeah, okay, over recent years, we have got more of their episodes back. But I suppose before, before you know the the, um, the rediscovery of uh, the under the water menace. Sorry, the undiscovery. The undiscovery. The undiscovery. Oh. <laughs> We've lost them again, have we? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're cutting some of this. <laughs> it's uh, before the discovery of the enemy of the world and the web of fear. Yeah. And more episodes of Doctor Jamie and Zoe together. So I suppose people were used more to that to that dynamic even though you could argue the stories were better in season five than they were season six. Um, but I'd have to say, I, I think it's more of a level playing field for Jamie with Victoria. I think it's someone from an era not too far away from his. And he has someone he can relate to a bit. With Zoe, she, she can be a bit all-knowing and, you know, oh, the, the, the Doctor's almost as clever as I am, she says in the Crotons. Yes, you know, right, yeah, yeah. Be sort of... Uh, that, that could be quite an unbalanced team. They're, they're fantastic. Don't get, don't get me wrong. They're a brilliant, brilliant team. But I think for me, I think it would still be the Doctor, Jamie and Victoria. Well, I, think, uh, I think as you say, because those, those discovered stories, um, I, to my mind, do put Victoria in a... I know we're supposed to be talking about Jamie here, but I think they do put Victoria in a, in a different light because she she's a Victorian, a young Victorian lady. Um, yeah. Leading a very, very sheltered life. Ooh. And I think her reaction to a lot of things is probably, I don't know, probably quite true to life really, because she led such a sheltered life um being dropped into the middle of these things. I think she would be a, as you said, she's a bit of a screamer to be honest. So, <laughs> God, I'll tell you what, I hope Deborah Watley never hears this. <laughs> so I think, what, I think what, uh, um, as we've sort of talked about is the, the Jamie and Doctor's relationship. Um, and it's all the more sort of heartbreaking, really, is what happens to him uh, at the end of the War Games. Yes, yes, indeed. Now, I must admit, I mean, the War Games was a story that I'd heard about, but I didn't... Oh, God, man, I, I don't think I'd saw that until the DVD came out. But it was always one of those that it, it was almost like this, this myth um, story and there's such an important moment in the Doctor's life, he goes back uh, to well, we don't know his Gallifrey No, in the story, it isn't alluded to but he does say his home planet mm-hmm. um, we meet the Time Lords for the first time and, and of course we have really, I suppose the first real heart-wrenching departure since Susan in the Dalek Invasion of Yes, Earth. that's right, that's right and I think what makes it work is the fact that during the time that Fraser Hines was on the show, and especially, you know, but he was accompanied with Deborah Watlin and Wendy Pabry as well. Yeah. One of the predominant features of the Troughton era is the fun that they are having. And you hear, you hear, Fraser Hines talks about it quite a lot now in interviews. He says, you know, we would never have left. If our agents hadn't been getting on to us saying, no, you've got to go, you've got to go, then we would never have left that show. We'd still be doing it. Yeah. Because they just had so much fun. And I think that was infectious. And I think that is one of the reasons why when it comes to you know the end of his time with the doctor it's so oh, it, it's such a sucker punch really you know it's coming 
and it's so understated as, as well. You know, it, 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 his little quip to him, he says, "Oh, don't don't go into any trouble." Yeah. He, he said, "Well, you're a fine one to talk." You know, and all this, and you think, you know, this relationship they've built up over these three years, it's going to be completely forgotten now. I mean, they they don't forget the Doctor completely, do they? They always remember their first adventure. That's right. Yeah. So they so they leave so they leave um, Jamie back in the Battle of Culloden. Culloden? How do you pronounce Culloden. it? Culloden. That's it. Culloden. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, but he'll always remember meeting the Doctor, and of course, Jamie uh, Zoe will always. Remember, I mean, what one of the tragedies is, is that he will never remember Zoe. No, that's right. That's right. Because then there were such good good friends come the end, weren't they? So. Yeah, and Victoria as well. He would he would never remember his travels with, with Victoria and that relationship he built with her. So I think it's a huge turning point. It's a moment where Doctor Who grows up a bit, I think, actually. I think yeah. episode episode 10 of The War Games is one of the most important Doctor Who episodes. Just those that single 25 minutes. It's one of the most important 25 minutes in the show's history. I think you could put it in there with, obviously, An Unearthly Child, Rose, uh, the 11th hour, I think you could say as well, and also obviously Spearhead from Space too. Yeah. But I think the War Games would definitely be up there because it sets, the War Games sets up Doctor Who for the next 45 years. It Basically it does. It, it yeah. really does. It does the job perfectly really, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the fact that you get this very grown up and very sort of, I mean, because one, one of the things which you can say about the Doctor and Jamie is they're almost like two little boys traveling around the universe and of course at that point no, they're, they're, they, you know, everything comes to an end everything has its time mm. to quote, uh, <laughs> to quote a, a well known Doctor Who quote but um, yeah so I think it's it's a terrible moment but it gets, it gets confused doesn't it later on with the five Doctors and the two Doctors where you kind of think well how does the Doctor well, I think the, th- the, the thing with the five doctors, you, you can always explain it away because they were um, phantoms, weren't they? Yeah. Really. Uh, they didn't really exist. Um, but you're right with regards to the two doctors, how that actually, if, if you're worried about continuity, how that actually, I'm assuming it must have fallen in between um, the, the end of Fury from the Deep and the beginning of Wheel in Space. If, it, yeah. if, it's, if it's just the yeah. Doctor and Jay, if you, if you want to put it into some sort of context. Um, how do you feel it's... Um, I mean, you can't really sort of say much about Jamie in, in the in the Five Doctors, but uh, in the Two Doctors, how, how do you think it sort of came together? Do you still feel like the, the, the magic was there between him and, and, and Patrick Troughton? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, obviously they've aged, and it's such a shame that, you know, it, it took another 20 well, nearly 20 years for them to appear on the show together again. Mm. Um, uh, I think, once again, it's, it's testament to just how... Well, it's, it's a testament just to how good Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines were together that, you know, how many years after leaving? It was, what, 16 years after leaving a show. Yeah. They're brought back for essentially what was a, a, really a, a special mid-season. It was really, yeah. yeah. Completely new Doctor. Um I think I think Fraser Hines obviously works better with Trouton than he does Colin Baker, but he's you know he's once again he doesn't really question. He just goes along with what's happening. You know, this is the same man, but he's got a different face and he looks different. He's got a funny haircut and a funny coat, but it's you know it's the same man again. Um, 
he doesn't really question it, does he? He just thought, well, I'll, I'll go along with it. You know, yeah. no, I, I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think there's an element of gullibility there when it comes to Jamie. <laughs> I, I just think he he is that that loyal that he will, you know, he well, will trust. It, well, he trusts. Well, the, the, he does. He does, totally. Um, just one thing I don't. When you interviewed Fraser Hines, I know because I went to all the. Um, during the 50th anniversary year, went to all the um, sort of the BFI or some of most of the, the, the BFI showings. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, Fraser Hines was there for the Sixth Doctor one, which they, they selected um, the two doctors. And yeah. um, he said then that uh, John Nathan Turner had actually asked him, would he actually consider coming back to the show as a companion, a full time mm-hmm. companion again? Um, do you think that would have would have worked if, if there was any sort of truth to that? At all, so we haven't got. Um, I mean, JNT's not here to to back that up now. Um, so, do you think it, it would work in sort of like eighties? Who? I don't know, actually. To be honest, I mean, I, I know obviously before um, before then you had Turlo had left a few stories before in Planet of Fire. So I suppose there was a space there for a male companion to join the TARDIS crew. But I don't know whether a companion. I think the thing with Doctor Who, I think everybody has their time in it. Yeah. I think, I mean, sometimes I, I love to play TARDIS roulette in my head and think, oh, what, what, what would this Doctor have been like with this companion? Mm. Um, or, you know, would, 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 let's say, William Hartnell's Doctor worked well with uh, Rose Tyler, let's say, for example. Well, yeah. Fucking yeah. Two, two, out, two out of the air, but... I think we get it. We get a glimpse of that in the two doctors, but I think it's okay for specials. But for it to happen for a whole season, I think for us, some of us fans, it would have been a wet dream. But I think, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I think for others, I don't know. I I think I think Fraser Hines and Jamie McCrimmon are so tied to the late sixties, yes, and to that one doctor. I mm-hmm. think it would have looked a little bit out of place. Yeah, I and agree. I, don't, I agree. Yeah, and I, I don't think, and I think it, it might have ruined for me especially. I think that special place that that Jamie has, uh, I will always associate him with Patrick Trout. I can't think of the Second Doctor without thinking of Jamie McCrimmon. I, I can't don't th- think. I don't think anyone can, to be honest. No, Certainly not. no, no, no. And there's not many companions you could say that with. I don't think. No. No, there um, is. A, I, I maybe sort of tenth Doctor and Rose. I'll, I'll, they're going to be forever embedded in, in the fans' memories, aren't they? As, as a yeah, as a travelling yeah. uh, travelling twosome. Yeah, yeah, and the third Doctor and Joe Grant. But yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll just end up we'll just uh, end up in invalidating my point and, uh, <laughs> and reading off a list in a minute. But, um, but no, I, I think I think I think if if Jamie had have travelled with the sixth Doctor. I can't see him in Trial of a Time Lord. I can't see him in Time Lash. I just... No. I mean, and actually, another thing, he's not really given that much to do in The Two Doctors. I mean, he gets he gets attacked, doesn't he, in the first part, and then well, sort of gets picked well, up by the Doctor, but then... <laughs> he's, he's, right. Well, he's trying to fight off the advances of Shock Eye for the rest of the story, isn't he? So. Oh, yeah, and that, that's weird. I don't know. <laughs> that, is, that is peculiar. That is yeah, a... Uh, he's talking about his tender legs or whatever. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if uh, I wonder if Fraser Hines wrote that line himself. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, so to to sort of wrap this up, um, Hayden, um, if you had to pick 
your absolute favourite Jamie McCrimmon story. Now, whether it's one of the um, one you can still watch on DVD or it's only ones you can now listen to from surviving audio um, audio tapes, um, what what would it be? Um, I suppose for me, it would have to be the evil of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because he isn't, I mean, even though he's almost a pawn in both the Doctor and the Daleks games in this, when they're obviously trying to find the, the human factor. Yeah. He leads so much of the action, which is an ironic thing to say when all you can hear is audio. But <laughs> it, so, much, so much of the action revolves around Jamie and his relationship with the doctors put to the test i think if there's a story that sums him up as a companion mm. you know loyalty his bravery his strength of character and his will and determination i think it would be the evil of the daleks okay good choice that's a good choice actually because most people would just go for something they've ever been able to watch rather than just picks that you can now listen to um, yeah so as you say <laughs> hopefully philip morris will come up trumps one day well, he can barely say the mind robber because he's not in it for two and a half episodes. Well, I know, exactly, because Hamish Wilson's there for that one. So. Some, in, some imposters in his wig. <laughs> okay, well, lastly, Hayden, um, would you like to tell our listeners where they can find your excellent podcast? Uh, you can find the Diddly Dumb podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Audioboo. Uh, you can go to us uh, on our Facebook page and also follow us on Twitter uh, with the Oh, God, I hadn't prepared this, mate. Could you edit this bit in? Okay, I, I'll edit it in. I'll edit it in. No worries. If I... Because I don't know our Twitter handle. I, I let <laughs> I let, I let, let Doc handle the Twitter and... Uh, yeah, hang on a second. Okay. So let's have a little look. Do-do-do. Oh, of course, our internet page as well. Uh, do-do. Hang on a minute. Uh, where are we? Diddly Dumb Podcast. Uh, there it is. Okay. Shall, shall, so, shall I introduce that bit again? Yes, please. Do that again. Yeah. Okay. And uh, lastly, could you tell all our listeners where they can find your excellent podcast? Yes, you can find the Diddly Dumb at diddly underscore dumb on Twitter. And you can find us at diddly dumb podcast, all one word. WordPress.com. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Audioboo, and on our Facebook page as well. There we go. Multiple places to find you. <laughs> no excuses, listeners. No excuses. <laughs> Covered all the bases. <laughs> Actually, Rob, that's brilliant, Hayden. Thank you very, very much for joining me, and um, it's fantastic talking to you. You too. My pleasure. listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who podcast alliance.